Listening to Who Wore What When, a podcast where we examine the lives of important and interesting historical figures with a particular focus on what they wore in the most significant moments of their lives. I'm your host, Maggie Latham, and today we have a wonderful guest star, Miss Bella McAllister. Bella, tell us about yourself. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, So I also went to Hofstra University and I took David's class, but I um, graduated as a BFA in performance, actually. Um, And yeah, I'm really excited to be here and I love flowers and the Central Park uh, Conservatory Garden is great. So check it out. (laughs) (laughs) Bella also got the best grade of her class in costume history. Um, I helped grade because I was her TA. But today we're going to talk about Queen Elizabeth I, also known as... I love that. Yeah, sorry. No, I I, like genuinely. I love that. Queen Elizabeth. Um, (laughs) She was also known as the Virgin Queen or Good Queen Bess. Um, She was one of the most powerful women in history and completely set beauty standards of her time and was hugely important to the world of theater because of her connection to William Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. So uh, we're going to talk about her early life a little bit. And I read or I listened to this podcast when I was doing some research for a thesis that I wrote, and it's by the History Chick, so um, check it out. But she was born um, September 7th, 1533, to Henry the Eighth. Eighth. There we go. It was his second child. Roman numerals are hard. <laughs> I know. That was bad. And this, his second wife, Anne Boylan, and her, uh, that was Anne Boylan's first child, too. Elizabeth was a uh, disappointment because Henry wanted a male heir, which is, you know, <laughs> at, at the time. And I guess, you know, throughout, throughout history, it's just been, we want the men. But um, Elizabeth's like, just kidding. It's me. I'm here. Until Elizabeth. <laughs> she really changed that for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she was established at the Hatfield House, which means that she, as soon as she was born, like three months later, she was taken to like her own house and she had a lady in waiting who was actually her sister, which is just funny, but she was, uh, there and she was taken care of and she was educated. Um, but before her third birthday, uh, Henry had Anne tried for adultery and treason, and she was executed. So just before she was three, she had a death in the family, and that was her mom. <laughs> awesome, mm-hmm. right? So fun. Uh, she Classic was, Henry, right, am I right? Right, mm-hmm, you sure are. Uh, she, was <laughs> she was a princess, but, uh, but when Anne uh, was uh, killed um, and the marriage was annulled, she became labeled as a bastard child. Uh, so that meant that she could have never been on the throne, but that changed very quickly. Later in her life, uh, Jane Seymour came in as a stable maternal figure and gave birth to Edward, uh, who would lay claim to the throne. So uh, wife number six, Catherine Parr, was also very kind. There was a 50-year period where girls received an excellent education in fashion and dominance of Protestantism and separation from Catholicism. So Elizabeth received a really excellent education for her time. She was born perfectly, actually, perfectly timed uh, for women, 
where she would learn how to speak French, Flemish, Italian, Spanish, Welsh, Cornish, Scottish, and Irish, and write in English, Latin, and Italian. That's amazing, right? That's that's amazing for women. Renaissance. Renaissance writing. Even though she's English, it would be more like Renaissance writing. Anyway, anyway. This um, is what I get for bringing actors on. Right, I know. <laughs> we're the worst. So... Eight years old, and then after she received that education, she declared that she would never marry a man. That was a quote from, um, a supposed quote from the History Chicks where they were like, I don't know if it's like a real thing that she actually said, but I just thought it was fascinating that she was like, I'm eight and I'm never marrying a man. Uh, And she also didn't want to produce an heir. She just wanted to have claim to the throne. So she followed kind of in her father's footsteps of, I like power. Right, well, and it it really mattered because... If she had a child, a male child, then that child would have more claim to the throne right. than she would mm-hmm. before Henry made that law. So Henry did really actually care about his kids, despite all of the horrible things that he did to their mothers. Um, he ended up declaring uh, that Elizabeth would be third in line for the throne, despite the fact that she was a bastard and he had killed her mother and annulled the marriage between them. Um, so his, So his succession went... Edward, and then Mary, his oldest child, and then Elizabeth, his middle child. So Henry actually gave his female children quite a bit of power at a time when women didn't have a lot, which led Elizabeth to where she ended up, and was why she was ever... <laughs> I owe you your favorite Keep that food, Dabney. <laughs> That's a close. I'm buying you dinner. <laughs> Those are all words. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> to speak Simlish. Tisaka, never dupsinor. Ginal. She's my favorite. Tika Lobato. Jabi Beto. Siga Day Day. Taki Lobato. That means thanks for listening. <laughs> Did you actually know. learn Simlish? <laughs> no, it, you just make it up. <laughs> okay. This is this cool life skill. I really thought that you, yeah. like, had it. I really should put um, on my resume that I'm like, do you want me to speak Simlish for you? And yeah. they're going to be like, oh no, God. get out. An entire play in Simlish? <gasps> Wait, that would be so funny. Actually, if you did, like, a short play, <laughs> that would be so... No, that would be... And you have, like, a little green thing <laughs> yeah. above your head. And, <laughs> and it's just, like, yeah. day-to-day interactions yeah. with Sims. Yeah, because you know when they set the kitchen on fire? And promo right yeah. now. I'm promoing right now. <laughs> Bella's Simlish play. I'm gonna all do about it. the life of a Sim. Yeah. It's gonna be great. Come see it. Mm-hmm. Just because it's just so funny to see yeah. it, the way that they react no, to like no. sitting in the kitchen on fire. They're like, and they're, they're just standing there like. So what this podcast is actually about is the clothing. And of course, Elizabeth has a very well documented life and therefore well documented clothing. If you look at the portrait, Elizabeth Tudor as a princess, artist unknown from 1546, um, you'll see a great example of the Tudor style that she wore. Mm -hmm. She wore a bodice and skirt made from exquisite fabric that was embellished with tons of precious jewels and lots and lots of pearls, especially. It had a very triangular silhouette, so there was a sharp corset under the bodice, and that gave the top a deep triangle that went down past the navel and usually like around the mid-hip range. Then she wore a Spanish farthingale underneath the skirt, which was stiffened with willow, and the willow went just under the base of the skirt to form a hoop. The skirts of the time had an underskirt and an overskirt. Uh, The underskirt was usually made of a contrasting fabric, and it also added to that triangular silhouette because of the cut of how the overskirt went 
went over, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> if we will. Yeah. Um, and it added a, a lot of, it focused, didn't it focus, it made it focus on the waist and everything, the way that it, the triangles kind of Yeah, they're like inverted triangles on each other, right. like really perpetual i'm trying to do it with my hands but you can't see my hands um but it made it (laughs) you can see right you can see my fingers through the microphone um (laughs) it gave it a a very significant hourglass shape yeah um, because of how wide it was at the tops and how narrow it was in the middle Mm -hmm. cool stuff so aggressive um let's see where were we the bodice had a very wide neckline. The sleeves only really connected to the bodice under the arms. The bodice didn't expose any bust, uh, and there was a partlet, which is a sheer piece of fabric. So the partlet connected to the tops of the sleeves and along the top of the bust, and then it was attached around the neck, and that was to add modesty to the dress. The sleeves started thin at the shoulders, but would go around to the elbow and have a turned back lining, and there was a second false sleeve underneath. The false sleeve would be really big and puffed, usually often would have slashing, which is a pretend cut that would have little bits of shirt or chemise coming out of it. And these giant puff sleeves gave the impression that you were wearing an entirely secondary dress underneath the top dress. And those sleeves that were underneath would also match the underskirts to give more of that idea of having a second dress. There were two major types of headdresses at the time. This portrait in particular has her wearing a French hood, which is a soft curved crescent shape that was often decorated with jewels and pearls and worn with a coif under or a coif. Some people pronounce it as coif. Coif. Um, a coif is basically just kind of like a, a light piece of fabric to go underneath things. In the early Middle Ages, it was often worn as just a headpiece, but at this time, it's just underneath things for the most part. The French hood was popularized by Elizabeth's mother, Anne Boleyn. The second major type of headdress is the English hood, also known as the gable headdress. This has a much harsher shape. It's basically a pentagon where the face would go through the bottom part, and it looks like the outline of a house. Mm. It was worn with side panels and a black veil, and it was popularized by Catherine of Aragon, Henry's wife numero uno, and repopularized by Jane Seymour, wife number three, to separate herself from Anne Boleyn, who was not a very popular person at the time after she was, you know, killed and stuff. <laughs> Bad times. All, all that Boleyn. good, fun, funky stuff. In the portrait, she's also wearing a pomander chain around her waist that's connected to a little metal ball that would contain spices and dried fruits and things that would make others smell good to you, not necessarily to make you smell good to others, because this was not the most clean time. <laughs> mm. Everyone had a really... No one took <laughs> no care fancy of baths. themselves. <laughs> it's gross. So not a clean time transitions successfully into Henry dying in uh, 1547 uh, to Edward is his son is is 10 years old and he's the king so he's a 10 year old king so imagine yourself as a 10 year old king 
what that would be like. I'd make some great choices. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like, really revamp things. Yeah. Barbies for all. I'm just playing Whipkins. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm working with 10-year-olds right now, and if any of them were rulers in any sense, I think I would just lay down and die. <laughs> because they're not qualified. Yeah. <laughs> they go like, yeah! <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so, yes. Yeah, so, Edward was a 10-year-old king. And uh, Henry's wife, uh, Catherine Parr, remarries to Thomas Seymour almost immediately after his death. Seymour is very, very flirtatious with a teen Elizabeth, and that's very naughty, very bad. But Catherine dies in 1547, and Seymour is... 1549. 1549. What did I say? You said Henry's date. No, okay, so... They died at the same time. Catherine died two years later in 1549, and Seymour was put to death for treason and plotting to marry Elizabeth, which is crazy. And when Elizabeth was told that Thomas Seymour was uh, being put to death, she was like, whatever, no emotion, nothing. That's the face of a boss-ass queen. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. Well, and it it just goes further into the idea of her being this great virgin queen, Mm -hmm. really. The cool part about it, she was really dedicated to that idea. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, Edward, who is a Protestant, as is Elizabeth, ended up dying in 1553 at only 15 years old. So he lived a good long life, unfortunately for him, I guess, but not so much for his sister. So he contracted pneumonia and died, and then Mary becomes queen. She's a Catholic. (gasps) So that's a big old change. Oh, no. And she also is married to Philip II of Spain, which was a very unpopular marriage because he also was a Catholic and apparently not the nicest fella. Great. Yeah. We don't, we don't love him. <laughs> she earns the nickname Bloody Mary by killing a lot of Protestants and eventually imprisoning Elizabeth in the Tower of London. Jeez. She's imprisoned for treason, but there's no evidence of said treason Mm. and continuously declared loyalty to Mary as queen. Wow. So, like, Mary didn't really have a leg to stand on. Mm. She's just like, yeah, you're going in the tower. She's like Mother Gothel. Yeah, she just kind of hung out there. Yeah. She's like, I guess this is... Yeah. Actually, fun fact, Tangled is based on <laughs> Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. That's a lie. Don't, don't believe yeah, what, that's the not things true you hear on podcast, kids. Um, she's like, I love you, Mary, and your Catholic beliefs. And she's like, thank you, but I don't like you. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Mary ended up dying on November 17th, 1558, which means because Henry had declared that Elizabeth would be third in line, Elizabeth is queen! All right! Enough, Reggie. So, now that queen, I mean, Elizabeth is now the queen, she's free from her tower, so there's a public jubilation of, uh, during her coronation. There's bells, bonfires, patriotic demonstrations. It's like 4th of July, but in 1558 when America wasn't even a thing. Anyway, so in true Queen Elizabeth fashion, there was this giant coronation procession. And so there was this quote from an onlooker, and I'm going to do it in style. <laughs> Heck yeah. 
If ever any person had either the gift or the style to win the hearts of the people, it was this queen. And if ever she did express the same, it was the, in that present, in coupling mildness with majesty as she did, and in stately stooping to the meanest sort. <laughs> okay, I'm not <laughs> sure if it was a man or a woman, but we can just, you know, it's all just I have then. is onlooker, mm-hmm. but here's the thing. This is what we get hiring actors. We get good quality content. Yeah. Following that, she made a lot of changes. Yeah. Yeah. So at this time, unfortunately, not everyone was Queen Elizabeth's biggest fan. Mm. Uh, Most Catholics saw her as illegitimate because she did have a cousin, Mary, Queen of Scots, Mm. different from her sister, Mary. Uh, she was, in fact, Elizabeth's cousin, and as her name states, the Queen of Scotland. Mm. But at this point, Bloody Mary is gone. What? She's also like my great 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 grandmother. Wait, <laughs> really? what? Mary Queen of Scots. Yeah. Okay, everyone. Yeah, Dabney's related to Mary Queen of Scots. So, uh, <gasps> do, 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 Dabney, you'll do, do, have to be the guest star do, do, for that do, do, episode. Do, 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 do. Um, okay, so, oh, she's my first cousin ten times removed. So that's not first cousin ten times that's removed. That's great, but it's I mean she's that's still pretty amazing. Yeah, I guess great, we have to start great, calling her Dabney Queen of Scots. Yeah, yeah. This podcast was brought to you by Sweaty Butts. Do you live in New York City in the summer? That's right. You've got a sweaty butt. <laughs> do your legs stick to the seats when you're sitting down? And when you try to stand up, do your legs peel off the seats? Well, you have found yourself in the middle of New York City, baby. So while the Catholics were not happy that they had a Protestant in charge, a lot of people are pleased that now we don't have this quote-unquote Bloody Mary. And to quote the great David Henderson... <laughs> he's not going to remember that he said this but elizabeth killed people too but she won so we don't call her bloody elizabeth Mm -hmm. so (laughs) during her time ruling england elizabeth killed 200 catholic priests and she wouldn't let any catholics in public office or the army and she didn't allow them to go to mass and they were fined in fact for not going to protestant services wow Maybe not one of her finer moments. (laughs) We're not claiming that she's perfect. Yeah. Bloody Elizabeth. And with that power, she made it very, very clear that she she was the ruler and she was the sole ruler. And she um, didn't want anyone else to possess even a little bit of that power. So no descendant, well, no... um, offspring and also no king either to rule by her side but she was very very flirty and used her femininity to an advantage i mean she had all these lavish dresses that she used to both prostrate herself as someone of power but also to show off she would, so she would give nicknames to her courtiers and chief minister burgley is one of them and she would call him my spirit Robert Dudley, who was her alleged lover, was called My Eyes, which, you know, Elizabeth only has eyes for Dudley. But that's a lie, because she had eyes for other people. Anyway, Duke of Anjou was called My Frog. (laughs) (laughs) She was a jokester. She was a trickster. She liked to have fun. (laughs) Pranked. And she wanted, so she wanted all this male attention to herself in court. And as I said before, she would appear in these 
beautiful, beautiful materials and vivid colors, and her ladies-in-waiting or anyone who was attending her court would only wear was only allowed to wear black and white. So imagine going to a party and you can only, you know, you can only wear a limited selection of colors because there's just one person who's like, I need to look the best. Uh, so that was, that was Elizabeth. Did you like that noise? <laughs> That's my plan for my birthday party. Yeah, no one's allowed to wear colors. Great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We have to wear black. Yeah. yeah. Dabney is Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. <laughs> yes, she is. She, I mean, technically, you have to be related to her if you're yeah. related to Mary, Queen of Scots. Yes, yeah. I am. So. Dabney, Queen of Harlem, y'all. Yeah. Get with it. Uh, and there's a quote from this French nobleman who was unable to judge the stars in the presence of the sun. Isn't that nice? Yeah. It's really nice. So, her clothing at this time was pretty phenomenal it changed mm-hmm. a lot you can view a great example of this in the portrait called elizabeth the first by an unknown artist from 1575 yes. and at the time of this portrait she's 42 years old so she's getting up there especially for the time considering that people didn't you know live all that long <laughs> without medicine and basic levels yeah. of hygiene mm-hmm Elizabeth dressed very extravagantly, as we've said a thousand times, but she was very self-conscious and really politically calculating about everything, and she completely controlled royal portraits, wouldn't let anything that she didn't want distributed to be distributed. Mm. All of her public appearances were totally just displays of wealth and her pure magnificence. So this time there were sumptuary laws that stated as follows... Under the sumptuary law issued at Greenwich, 15th June, 1574, only duchesses, marchionesses, and countesses were allowed to wear cloth of gold, tissue, and fur of sables in their gowns, kirtles, partlets, and sleeves. So at this time, the neckline starts to creep up, which is similar to the partlet, but now we're just completely filling in the part that the partlet covered. Uh, And the ruff, which you typically associate with Elizabethan time, is popular. This is basically just a neck piece. Mm. (laughs) It's like a scrunched up. It looks like an accordion around your neck. Yeah, it looks looks like an accordion. Oh, it kind of looks like if you kept your fan, if you bought like a fan that folds up and then you put it around your neck. It looks like a coffee filter. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like coffee filters. Mm Mm-hmm. They yeah. actually were. Yeah. They were. Um, it was actually Yeah, filters. Folgers. It was amazing. Um, yeah, thanks, Folgers. <laughs> this Folgers. episode is sponsored by Folgers. Folgers, <laughs> Folgers neck ruffs. <laughs> 1575. Um, Coffee and a neck ruff. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> Have you wanted, ever wanted the best of both worlds? <laughs> okay. I know I do. Um, so the sleeves at this time, instead of being those sleeves with the turnback lining and the false sleeves they were these big lego mutton sleeves which sounds exactly like what it looks like (laughs) it looks like a big old lego mutton Mm -hmm. um they're very large at the top and narrow down toward the wrist and they're stuffed with cotton wool horse hair or even sawdust which is called bombast and it was used all over the body really to pad and had a lot of shape and quantity and added to the silhouette And in this case, that silhouette was Elizabeth's arms and shoulders. Mm -hmm. This was partially an attempt to make her shoulders look broader and make her arms look bigger, a little bit more masculine, because she is this solo female ruler at the time. Yeah. Smart move on Elizabeth's part. That's true. That's true. 
the silhouette is somewhat more soft. Uh, it's moving more toward the horizontal, as we'll see a little bit later. And she wore brighter colors and lots and lots of jewels as before. Elizabeth also painted her face and hands white with cerus, which is white lead mixed with vinegar, mm. which sounds like a super safe and smart idea, <laughs> um, if they you're asking know. me. Yeah. <laughs> Personally. They were like, this thing and this thing? Perfect. Is yeah. it melting my face? Whatever. Yeah, I look great. <laughs> she colored her lips red to contrast from the whiteness of her face with this cerus mixture. Um, and this was made with beeswax mixed with plant dye. She also wore coal eyeliner, and she wore wigs that matched her red hair. And that was basically her, her look for the remainder of her rule and until her death. So uh, speaking of that, in the last 10 years of her reign, it was not great. Um, she was losing a lot of support within those 10 years, and everything declined, declined, declined as she continued to decline in health as well. There were bad harvests, there was inflation, unemployment, and some of her favorite courtiers, there was corruption that was discovered. There was a crisis of authority, especially with the Earl of Essex during the military attempts to subjugate the Irish. So Earl of Essex comes back against orders to subjugate them and insults the queen and tries to start an insurrection. And so Queen Elizabeth responds by trying him and executing him for treason in 1601. So you really can't talk back to the queen. <laughs> it also should be stated that his insurrection that he tried to start was just a just not well organized. He just really <laughs> flopped on that one, just really dropped the ball. Earl um, of Essex. And then he got executed. Silly boy. Or Earl of Executed. Es- <laughs> Earl of Execution. As executed. He was as executed. In her old age, it took Elizabeth four hours to get dressed, Yeehaw. which is longer than any other monarch. But you've all seen portraits of her. You know how elaborate and insane her garments were. So you can imagine that it was pretty difficult to get her in and out of these. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, this pretty young Elizabeth that everybody knew and loved was balding, she had rotten teeth, and she was extremely pox-scarred. Uh, she also had very severe headaches and pretty debilitating depression. And a lot of all of these things were caused by the cerus, because, you know, lead <laughs> on your face every day mm. is probably not great. Wait, really? Um, you don't- I know. It's, it's hard to believe that, you know, they're saying, like, don't put lead in the water, don't put yeah. lead in the water, but putting it directly on your face... That just sounds That's like an excellent solution. A solution. Yeah. I'm like, don't put lead in my paint. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm not licking the walls. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, she even had a lead coffin, and her effigy was dressed in royal robes. Now, you can see in the Ditchley portrait, one of the most famous portraits of Elizabeth, by Marcus Gerhardt's in 1592, um all of the new things that came toward the end of her life. Most importantly and significantly, the drum or French farthingale. This is what she was most known for, and it came into style in 1580. This is an extremely strong change to the her silhouette, from that original triangular shape to now a completely cylindrical shape. Mm-hmm. She's just trying out all the shapes. She <laughs> loves Elizabeth Love and shapes. geometry. Yeah. <laughs> 
hand geometric. in hand. <laughs> geometric Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, that's her new nickname. Yeah. Virgin, yes. Virgin <gasps> Queen Geometric Elizabeth. Yeah. yeah. Geometric Queen. Yeah. yeah. So to cover this farthingale, this drum or French farthingale, she had to cover it with three meters of fabric that were pleated to show how much money she had that she could just spend wow. all of it on this garment wow. um, that was so massive and just honestly really unnecessary. <laughs> but basically to explain the look of it, it was, it jutted out from the hips and it was a circle and it rested on top of the hips and just kind of laid flat mm. and didn't really do much else. And it could be really massive and mm. often was and is almost an introduction to later panniers in yeah. the way that it disrupted the lives of women who wore mm. it yeah um didn't you have to walk you you didn't really want to move it that much because it's very right. bouncy and flouncy so yeah. you wanted to it forced you to walk a certain way and yeah I can only imagine, especially as she got older, trying to walk and hold that up at Although, the same time. to be fair, by the time she was that age, she probably was walking very slowly anyway. Right, yeah, so, yeah. you know, all that lead. her sweet time. All that lead! <laughs> um, the drum or French farthingale is all, often... Hmm, the drum or French farthingale is often also worn with a busk, which is a thin strip of baleen or whalebone, steel or wood, uh, worn to stiffen the front of a pair of stays or bodice. So that creates the really sharp triangular bit at the bottom of the bodice, and it pushed down the front and pushed the back up to give kind of, not super far, of course, but it gave it just a little bit of a tilt so it looked almost like kind of what you would think of when you think of a bustle, um, mm. like a, a high rump. This dress was worn with a fan ruff, which is a different type of ruff that attached to the outer neckline of the bodice and would go behind the head and was propped up with a whisk, which is a metal piece um, that was covered with fabric and often also propped up with what's called an underpropper, mm. which does exactly what it sounds like. It props things from underneath them. <laughs> um, and it was usually made of metal. These dresses still had leg of mutton sleeves and would often have a cape sleeve or a pendant sleeve that would go over the top that would just be connected on the shoulder and then would flow down without being actually connected to any part of the arm or the wrist. Mm. Yeah, so Elizabeth had clearly from the things that she, she wore and the things that she did with her power, she had this lasting legacy that was important for women in power, especially then and today. And men thought during this time that they were rational with natural-born authority and that they could do everything and that women, in fact, were temperamentally, morally, and intellectually unfit to govern and that they were more likely to be dominated by impulses and passion. And that's even seen today. Let's, let's look back to the election of 2016. But, yeah, you, see, you saw a lot during the 2016 election of people saying things like Hillary Clinton is unfit to govern because she's going to get her period and she's just going to set off nuclear war. And that's yeah. that's what people believed at the time, essentially. Yeah. Um, and it's still a thought today, unfortunately. But, yeah. you know, let's mm -hmm. let's hope for, for a change in that. Let's yeah. be like Iceland. Yeah. And that must have been a lot of pressure for her. 430 years. Right. A lot of pressure at that time to remain that's in power. Enough. And... It, she had to put up such a facade, and I can only imagine the reason that a lot of her depression and probably self-consciousness 
comes from all of that yeah. being surrounded by male power and probably totally. even her father. So Oh yeah, because Henry yeah. <laughs> Henry was a dominant figure, yeah. to say the least. And liked a lot a lot of different women. Although like we said, he did he put his two kids, his two female kids mm. in line for the throne, which was not something that was yeah. really ever heard of. Right. But yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. You could say he liked women. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe Henry liked women too much. Yeah. Um, Except uh, when he beheaded Henry. them. Yeah. That was the only time. Um, so Elizabeth was seen by people as almost two mythical bodies. Uh, one of these bodies was a flesh body, and one body was a body politic, as they call it, which mm-hmm. is a body to rule. Um, the flesh body was imperfect, but the body politic is perfection, and that's why she was such a great and powerful ruler, despite being a female. There were also even rumors that as a child, the female princess was replaced by a red-haired male child, Ugh. because that male child was the apparently the only red-headed child yeah. that could possibly be in all of England that could have replaced um, our lovely queen. And this, for some people, was an explanation for why she was a virgin her whole life is because she actually was a man, which, let's just, let's it's be annoying. real here, it's not true. Yeah. <laughs> That's just not true. That makes um, me mad. True. <laughs> yeah. Um, but despite everything, Elizabeth refused to compromise her power, and that's the real explanation for her virginity and for not marrying, mm-hmm. because she didn't want to give up the power that she felt that she deserved, and, you know, you can say a lot of things about that, but at some level it should be commended. Yeah, and she, exactly. She didn't want to give that up. Yeah, there were a lot of other male rulers who didn't want to um, compromise their power, and True. what happened to them? Anyway, uh she was also an avid supporter of the arts, particularly Shakespeare. Ta-da! Shakespeare! Yay, um, theater people. Yeah. Woohoo! I guess he's he's a little bit important in, in the lives of theater people. Yeah, yeah I guess so we kind of like him. Yeah, and all we people. We say, mo- like, most of the words we say, I feel like, are directly from Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Like, as humans. Right. Oh, yeah. There's, English-speaking humans, mm-hmm. I should say. There's a little magnet on my refrigerator that has, I think it's Grace's, and it has all these things that... Shakespeare gave us all these um, idioms. Yeah, idioms. idioms. Shakespearean idioms. Yes. Is that the word? Uh, but she would attend his shows, and they were in communication, I believe, as well. And so that really boosted his um, his career and his choices and his ability to produce and um, perform plays at the Globe as well. Right, and he... Yeah. It, is said that he did a lot of his performing for her specifically because he knew she would be coming yeah amazing which is why he did never say anything bad about the Tudor line (laughs) yes yes because he would never he would never in many of his plays he would maybe touch upon abuse of power but would never directly quote the queen which I think is sly well and Shakespeare's a sly fox. Totally Foxy minx. (laughs) Totally going off script. But he also wrote about a lot of very strong female rulers. Mm -hmm. You see a lot of that in King John. He talks about Eleanor of Aquitaine, who I want to do a podcast about because she's freaking awesome. Uh, He talks about Queen Margaret in Mm -hmm. all the Henry VI plays. All all of these amazing, powerful female... Queen Margaret. Lady M. Yeah. Lady M. Yeah. 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 
the great Lady M mm-hmm. from that Scottish play. Not that she's a hero there. Yeah. <laughs> she's not a hero, but she's a powerful woman, yeah. and that's that's important. Isabella um, in Measure for Measure, yeah. even though, well, she's a nun, but... It's complicated. Yeah. She's also a virgin, though. Yeah. Amazing. Virginity. Yeah. It's something. It's something. <laughs> it exists. <laughs> this I podcast guess. is presented. Does it exist? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. It's pretty fake. It's pretty... Yeah. Pretty fake. Yeah. Pretty fake. Um, Anyway. Uh, Obviously, Elizabeth was hugely important for fashion. Because she was so obsessed with her image and how it was presented by others, she had a lot of portraits made. And a lot of these are seriously iconic images that we see all the time. She also was able to dictate what people wore as an extension of her power, which gave her more power. And she used her femininity to work for her through fashion by Mm -hmm. making herself appear beautiful, but still not ever taking away from the strength that she had, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. Yeah. And although she may have made some questionable choices during her rule, um, she, she wasn't perfect, but her perfect presentation of her image made her a fashion icon and incredibly important for the history of clothing. It's true. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for listening to Who Wore What When. Tune in next week when we take a look at the life and clothing of the most significant innovator of men's fashion, Bo Brummel. Woo! This episode of Who Wore What When was researched and written by Maggie Latham and Bella McAllister. It was edited and produced by the amazing Dabney Rao. It was inspired by David Henderson's History of Clothing course at Hofstra University. This episode was sponsored by having no free time, Bella's illegal air conditioner, and the Long Island Railroad. Some of the research for this episode came from Encyclopedia Britannica, David Henderson's Costume History Notes, and the Royal Museum's Greenwich website. Would you like to see all the incredible clothes we're talking about? Check out the new app, Entail. Entail is a new podcast platform which allows creators to add pictures, maps, links, quotes, and chapters to their shows for a rich, interactive experience. Entail users don't need to search for photos of the clothing we're mentioning. They can see exactly what we're talking about as we're saying it. Download it today at the Apple App Store and search who or what when to follow us. Special thanks to our guest star, the amazing Bella McAllister. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me. I had so much fun. And thanks to David Henderson and everyone who voted on my Instagram poll that they would listen to this podcast. Did you enjoy this episode? Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Only five stars or else. Tell your friends to listen. Tell your enemies to listen. Tell your carpenters to listen. Tell your orthodontist to listen. Tell Con Ed to listen. Yeah, just tell everybody. (laughs) Everybody should know to listen. Yeah. And check us out on Instagram at whoworewhatwhenpod or at our website at www.whoworewhatwhenpod.com. Thanks to the beautiful Daphne Lynn Rao, who made this amazing website. Taki Lovato! (laughs) (laughs) That means thanks for listening.